everyone, welcome to episode 82 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. So we've had a week off. Last week was the uh, mid-cycle product sprint for this current development cycle of Ubuntu. Uh, all the teams were meeting up remotely, uh, having various sort of shared sessions to discuss plans and their progress and that kind of thing. So the security team, we were uh, heavily involved in that. Uh, so had a week off from the podcast, but back again this week to do it all again. Uh, so we'll be covering the usual roundup of security vulnerabilities that were fixed in the supported Ubuntu releases across now the past two weeks, uh, this week's episode. Plus, we've got a special interview uh, that Joe did with uh, two of the other Ubuntu security team members, uh, Chris Coulson and Steve Beatty, talking about uh, TPMs, the Trusted Platform Modules, and uh, Ubuntu Core 20, which makes use of TPM4 full disk encryption. All right, so let's get into it. So first up, we had an update for libvnc server. Uh, there were five different vulnerabilities that were fixed for Ubuntu releases 16.04, 18.04, and 20.04 long-term support, and Ubuntu 19.10. Uh, this is used by uh, things like GNOME Remote Desktop, VirtualBox, and others. So, yeah, a reasonably well-integrated uh, library. Uh, provides both server and client functions as well. Uh, so some of these issues affect, you know, part the client part and some affect server. But anyway, um, you know, so issues in handling of uh, WebSocket frames, uh, also when handling cursor shape updates, uh, server cut text messages, and decompression of Zlib compressed data. So in all of these cases, uh, you know, you'd likely get memory corruption, so a crash, and therefore denial of service as the effect. But you could possibly uh, have an information leak if you can, you know, read uh, a memory that's outside of uh, the normal area or you could get possible remote code execution as well. So they were all fixed for libvnc server. Uh, then we had an update for Firefox, uh, updating to the uh, latest upstream release 78.0.1. Uh, this fixed 11 different CVEs, and this was done for Ubuntu releases 16.04, 18.04, and 20.04 long-term support, and 19.10. Uh, most of these were your usual web browser type issues, things like uh, you know, a crafted website can then cause um, things like information leak or bypass permission prompts or remote code execution or a crash or you know the usual sorts of things that we see for these web uh, yeah web browsers but uh, one in particular was that um, kind of Firefox specific uh, thing where it was handling uh, updates for add-ons it would check uh, that they were properly signed uh, and it would you know therefore walk the certificate chain to get back to the root certificate but if that didn't chain back to one of the built-in uh, root certificates to Firefox uh, it would fail so that would mean that some uh, add-ons you know depending on who their uh, root CA was uh, would then not be updated because it would reject the updates basically and so that was fixed so you know now your updates or sorry your, now your add-ons should be updating appropriately for Firefox. Then there was an update for Samba, uh, three different CVEs that were fixed for um, our regular Ubuntu releases plus our extended security maintenance. So that's Ubuntu 12.04 and 14.04 extended security maintenance plus Ubuntu 16.04, 18.04 and 20.04 long-term support and Ubuntu 19.10. Uh, so two different uh, separate issues um, in handling of LDAP queries. So both of these we use after freeze. That's the kind of thing where you've got a pointer to some memory that has been freed. You know, so it's part of the heap that may or may not still be accessible. So if it's not, you'll then get a crash. Uh, but if it is, then you can you know, potentially have manipulated what's in that memory and you know, get uh, code execution or that kind of thing as a result. And the third issue was a CPU-based denial of service when processing NetBIOS messages over TCP IP. Then we had an update for NetSNMP for Ubuntu 20.04 long-term support. Uh, the previous releases of NetSNMP in our older Ubuntu versions were not affected by this. Uh, there was a double free there uh, that could again result in uh, heap, uh, corruption of the heap memory and therefore a crash or possible code execution. 
Uh, then up next, we had updates for the Linux kernel. So thanks to the kernel team for working on these. This is the usual uh, three weekly stable release update cycle for the Linux kernel across the supported Ubuntu releases. Uh, a lot of these involve the same um, security fixes backported to the different kernels. So I will try to kind of roll these together where I can to save time. There were five different CVEs fixed for the kernel in uh, Ubuntu 20.04 long-term support. That's a 5.4 based kernel. And uh, most of these are actually low impact sort of thing. So there was an information leak due to a failure to initialize some memory when handling elf code. There was also an issue with SE Linux where it could trigger a possible null pointer to your reference when, uh, when handling of uh, network file system labeling. Then there was uh, an out-of-bounds read in a SCSI driver, um, a USB gadget uh, out-of-bounds read via configfs. So yeah, a bunch of low-impact things that would likely cause uh, just a crash of the running kernel. We then had an update for the kernel in Ubuntu 19.10. And this is a 5.3 based kernel and it's also used as the hardware enablement kernel for Ubuntu 18.04 long-term support too. So uh, most of these were the ones I mentioned just previously, plus there was an additional uh, fix for SE Linux where it would fail to validate all parts of a Netlink message. So essentially, Netlink is a protocol built into the Linux kernel for uh, ostensibly doing communication between uh, user space and the kernel. And the messages can uh, be sent as like an IO vector, so you can have multiple parts to them. And SE Linux would only essentially do access controls on the first part of that. And so if, uh, say, user space had sent a message to the kernel or whatever with multiple parts in it, the other parts wouldn't get checked. So you could get possible uh, bypass of your SE Linux access controls as a result. Uh, however, on Ubuntu, we do not um, enable SE Linux by default. It is built into the kernel. So if you want to use SE Linux, you can, but it's a bit of a manual process. Uh, so in general, you're not affected by SE Linux type issues on Ubuntu, unless you've gone to some effort to go and turn it on yourself. Uh, then we had an update for uh, the 5.0 kernel uh, used for Ubuntu 18.04 long-term support in GKE and also for some of our OEM platforms. Again, included a bunch of the fixes I just talked about. Uh, the kernel in Ubuntu uh, 18.04 itself was updated. This is a 4.15 based kernel, and this is also used as the hardware enablement kernel for Ubuntu 16.04 long-term support. Uh, so again, a lot of the issues I talked about previously, there are actually 12 different vulnerabilities that were fixed here. Plus, um, there was a, cr a possible uh, crash that could be triggered in uh, the kernel to user space relay uh, subsystem, where essentially a local user could uh, cause a crash in the kernel via return, um, sending back improper return values that weren't appropriately checked by the kernel and then it would go and proceed you know, to keep running and use invalid data structures and the kind of thing. The kernel in Ubuntu 16.04 long-term support was also updated. This is a 4.4 based kernel. And again, this is used as the hardware enablement kernel for Ubuntu 14.04 extended security maintenance. Uh, again, a lot of the same issues I talked about. Plus, uh, there was a unique fix here for um, a race condition in uh, for handling of PTP devices. So they are highly accurate time devices. And so essentially, if you had a device node that was allocated for that and the process then went to sleep, um, when if the device then gets removed and the process wakes up, you know, it essentially has an, an open uh, device and there are certain data structures that have been cleaned up in the kernel in the meantime. And then if it goes to access those, it can cause a crash in the kernel. So yeah, that was fixed uh, for Ubuntu uh, 6.04 long-term support as well in the kernel. Uh, then we had an update for Coturn. This is uh, the turn or stun server, uh, and it's used to essentially traverse um, NAT for VoIP media traffic, and it provides things like a telnet and a web interface for, for management as well. 
There was an information leak there due to failure to uh, zero out memory when uh, sending responses. And there was also improper handling of HTTP post requests to the web interface. And again, this could cause a denial of service or an information leak or other sort of unspecified issues. Uh, then we had an update for the GNU C library. So this is something that um, I guess we try to roll in a lot of fixes in one go. Uh, so we had uh, updates for uh, yeah, glibc in uh, 16.04 and 18.04 long-term support and 1910. Uh, in this case, uh, as I said, there's a real mix of stuff. Uh, a lot of these, because being a C library, you know, you've got memory corruption issues that we're fixing here. So things like uh, handling of particular regular expressions, um, handling of certain bit patterns, um, doing path tilde expansions, you know, the tilde that's your, represents your home directory in a path, uh, doing certain host name lookups, uh, handling of various memaline and mem copy uh, instructions. Yeah, again, all of those could possibly result in memory corruption, so therefore a crash or possible code execution, they were all fixed. And uh, one that I found a little more interesting was a fix for a possible uh, address space layout randomization bypass uh, that could be done uh, particularly against set UID programs um, because it wouldn't, the, C, the GNU C library wouldn't respect the LD prefer map 32-bit exec environment variable. Uh, and so a local attacker could essentially set that to then uh, restrict the range of memory that libraries would get mapped into when they are loaded uh, by that set UID or for that set UID program. And therefore, you know, if you have got um, some other vulnerability, you can therefore, you know, defeat ASLR and know where certain structures are in memory and, you know, more easily exploit your set UID root program to essentially elevate your own privileges. So they were fixed for uh, glibc. Uh, we had an update for NSS. This is a crypto library that uh, is produced by Mozilla and is bundled into Firefox uh, and is also used as a third party library by other things. In this case, it was a possible RSA side channel uh, due to um, uh, secret dependent uh, code flow. So essentially, you know, depending on what your RSA secret key was, the amount of time uh, to do certain operations on that would take longer or shorter, and you can therefore infer what the secret key is as a result. Uh, that was fixed. Uh, we had a fix for open EXR, uh, two CVEs that were fixed. Again, um, a heat buffer overflow and a use after free. Uh, we had a fix for Cinder. So this is uh, the OpenStack component that handles block devices uh, in particular. And in this case, there was possible exposure of credentials uh, when using the Dell EMC Scale IO or VXFlex uh, OS backend storage devices. So what it would do there is it would actually expose the credentials as part of um, the API structures that would get returned when you made certain API calls. And so instead what's happened there is uh, they've moved the credentials to a file on disk. Uh, so note if you are um, using that backend driver uh, in your OpenStack deployment, you may need to do uh, some local changes to essentially put those credentials into uh, a file on disk instead. Uh, we had an update for Thunderbird. This was to the latest upstream release 68.10.0. Again, this fixed 10 different CVEs. Uh, most of these were the kind of stuff I mentioned earlier in the Firefox update because uh, Thunderbird is built on the same code base as Firefox. Uh, but there was one Thunderbird specific one actually similar to some stuff that I talked about in uh, previous episodes around MUT and its uh, handling of IMAP servers. In this case, um, when Thunderbird would go to connect uh, to an IMAP server using start TLS, uh, you could have a possible um, attacker uh, essentially intercept that, send back a pre-auth, and then you, know, you could then intercept the connection and modify it as you needed to as an attacker. Uh, there was an update for OpenSSL for our extended security maintenance releases. This includes fixes that I talked about back in episode 77. 
We had an update for WebKit GTK, the um, web rendering engine that is used by various GTK components, eight different CVEs. Again, these are the usual kind of things that affect web browsers, uh, so I won't go into details there. And finally, we had one more update for Firefox, uh, updating to you know, the most recent uh, upstream release 78.0.2. Uh, again, uh, and in this case, actually, it was just one security-related fix, uh, which was for a possible clickjacking attack that could occur via crafted X-Frame options. So essentially, um, you could well, we could bypass X frame options when visiting a specially crafted website and then do clickjacking. So essentially, get you know, they used to click on things inadvertently when they didn't realize what they were clicking on. And that is it for security updates. I realized that was a long, uh, long list this week. So thanks everyone for listening uh, and sitting through that. All right. So up next, uh, as I said at the start, we've got a special interview that Joe did with two of the other team members of the Ubuntu security team, Chris Coulson and Steve Beatty. Um, for the last year or so, Chris has been doing a lot of work uh, with TPMs, Trusted Platform Modules, uh, and in particular in relation to the upcoming Ubuntu Core 20 release. So uh, yeah, Joe and uh, Chris and Steve have a bit of a chat about TPMs and Ubuntu Core 20 as well. Hey everybody. Welcome to um, this week's special guest version of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. Today we have Steve Beatty and Chris Colson, um, and we're going to talk about um, the TPM, how you can use it, what it is. I know as a security person, we talk about them all the time, but um, what I've come to discover is not everybody knows much about them. And so Chris has been doing all of our TPM work lately, so I figured let's just go right to the source. <laughs> Hi. Hey, Chris. Um, so um, if you could tell us like real briefly, like what is the what is a TPM and this TPM sort of in the Intel world for the x86 world? So TPM is just a, it's a hardware cryptographic device. It's um, it's it's present on a lot of um, modern laptops and uh, small PCs like the uh, Intel NUC. Um, and it works with uh, other platform components to provide a couple of um, couple of neat features. Um, and the first one of those is uh, protected storage. Um, so you can you can protect secrets um, in the TPM. Um, and those secrets can only be decrypted by that TPM that has protected them. Um, and you can you can configure them to only be decryptable um, when the platform is in a specific state as well. Um, the other feature um, that they provide is remote attestation where you can have a third-party remote uh, party, sorry, a, a remote third-party verify um, the platform state. Um, and that can be used for authentication or as part of an authentication mechanism, it can. Very cool. So um, now with the TPM, it can be used to unlock things, but how do you know that, I guess, how would the TPM unlock, let's say, something like full disk encryption to know that it hasn't, the disk hasn't been tampered with? So when you when you boot a device, um, the, uh, the the first instructions that run uh, form part of um, part of what's known as the trusted computing base, and they are they're effectively the root of trust. Um, they're, they're the parts of the device that um, you depend on for the for the entire security of the device. Um, and when when you boot the device, um, the the software that runs. Um, 
effectively records events or states into the TPM. They're called measurements. And those are, those are cryptographically secure one-way um, hash extend operations. Um, and that's, that's how you build it. That's how you, you build a picture of the state of the platform through those measurements. So do you have to, let's say you were to make lots of changes to your, to your, uh, to your box, would you have to update those PCRs? Yeah, so if, you, if you're protecting a secret um, against part of the, uh, or protecting a secret against part of the platform that you change, you would then have to update um, the, the, the secret that you've protected um, so that you can then um, decrypt it again after you've made those changes. Okay, so um, I understand with, with like trust zone, they call these, like their equivalent of a PCR, I guess is a fuse, and you can only write fuses, I think one time. Um, does the TPM have the same problem where you can't update um, PCRs? I'm, Steve, you're looking at me like I lied about fuses and, <laughs> and trust zone, am I, am I wrong? I but have the, no the, idea. I think the fuse is on, on um, the, the fuses uh, on a um, platform that has trust zone, I think it's slightly different. Um, no, there, there's, there's nothing like that. Um, no. Okay, that's good to know. <laughs> that way you can make a lot of mistakes yeah. and keep rewriting it, which is sort of fear I have with the other platform, because I know when I'm learning something, I've made mistakes. Now, just curious, have you bricked your own device while trying to learn more about the TPM? I haven't, um, although I've not really been testing anything on my um, my main machine, I've got other other devices I can use for testing. Okay, good. Um, um, but I don't really, I don't really think there's a way you can actually brick a device. If you, if you're using the TPM to protect a full disk encryption secret, then obviously you can lose all your data. Um, but I, I don't think there's a way to actually brick a device because the, the TPM is a passive device. Um, if it, if it doesn't work, it, it can't, it can't tell the platform to stop booting or anything like that. Um, and can you disable the TPM and BIOS? Oh, you, you can on some devices, yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. so let's say I'm doing, once again, full disk encryption, TPM. You can have a backup pin, though, right, in case something uh, changes, right? Is that is ever making that up? Uh, it depends. It depends how you protect your secret, I guess. Um, I mean, if you if you only have a single secret that's protected against the TPM, um, if you if you make any changes um, that you can't reverse, or you, or you clear the TPM, for example, then you, you permanently lose that secret. Um, it, you could potentially, if you if you, you could protect your secret outside of the TPM as well with a, with a conventional passphrase. But, okay. Yeah. Now, um, you mentioned earlier that you could use a TPM for a remote attestation. Um, mm -hmm. What? So in my mind, that would be something like you're in a traditional corporate network. And the TPM is verifying that you can get your, I don't know, um, get on the network or get your get to the AD box for login. Is that sort of an example of that? Yeah, kind of. I mean, the TPM doesn't verify anything in this case. What you what it does is it signs a quote effectively. Um, it's a signed, it's a signed assertion of the the state of the platform, and then that that signed statement it's then verified by a remote verifier, um, along with. Um, other data, for, for example, an event log, and to, to confirm that the, the platform is in a state that's expected. So if you change any software components, um, the, 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 the signed quote will indicate that that has been changed. Okay. 
Very, very, that seems like a very useful thing in your, especially now that we're, most people are in this sort of distributed work environment. So mm -hmm. could you, I don't know, could you verify before you launch your corporate VPN or something like that? Seems kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, do you, what do you think the next big use of the TPM is? Or where, or where do you think could, it could be used more and make, have more of an impact than it is right now? Putting you on the spot. Should have briefed you with this question. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. <laughs> Um, I, I think actually, uh, I think remote verification of integrity is probably, is probably it. Um, it's not something we're particularly involved with at the moment. It's not, um, I mean, our, our use of it in Canonical recently has been mostly focused on the full encryption. But. I think most people still are, but it's nice to have an eye on what's in mm -hmm. the future because we can help, you know, steer, steer this Canonical ship towards that. Okay. Um, no. Any last things you want to chat about about the TPM? I know I've just learned a ton more than I knew before. <laughs> so I don't know if everyone's aware of the work we've been doing recently on Ubuntu Core, um, where we're, we've introduced the TPM protected full disk encryption um, for Ubuntu Core 20. Um, and that, uh, you can test that now, I think. You the beta is live. Yeah. Yeah. I think even, what's really, and for folks who aren't familiar with Ubuntu Core, um, Ubuntu Core is not just stripped down Ubuntu. It's a whole different approach to an operating system where we've sort of, I'll say, confined every piece of it and every piece is updatable. So if you think about a bunch of the recent, I, I think of Core more of an IoT platform, but I know it can be used on other, other, just, uh, other ways as well. But if you think of an IoT device, it's not usually physically protected from much. It's out there in the field. It might have passwords for your Wi-Fi, et cetera. And so protecting it with the TPM for full description makes a lot of sense because you're eliminating that physical threat. Um, but then Ubuntu Core itself is different than traditional IoT because you know, think about building a box on a special one-off version of Yocto or something, which a lot of people tend to do for their IoT devices you're not getting updates, right? They're not auto-updating. There's no rollback built mm -hmm. into it, things like that. But Ubuntu Core, it's got it's built to use snaps. Um, so if you are maintaining this box, you can update it over the wire throughout the whole life of the box. There's even ESM for Ubuntu Core, so it can run for an incredibly long amount of time. So um, it's definitely a better way of deploying your IoT devices. I mean, this won't run on something like a ESP32 or an ESP8266 or a real low power device because you need to be able to actually run an operating system. But those small um, sensors could actually be feeding to your, your core protected device, which is then sort of acting like a fog controller, which you'll see with things like EdgeX. Um, but yeah, um, that's where this full disk encryption and TPM is really cool. So download the, the beta version and check it out. Steve, anything you want to add? I don't have anything. <laughs> um, Sorry. We're going to get Steve to talk about um, how we publish kernel updates next week. Um, um, <laughs> I've now volunteered Steve for this. He, he can't say no. Um, well, everybody, thank you for listening. And Chris and Steve, thank you for um, telling us all about the TPM. Yeah, thanks for having us. So thanks in particular to Chris and Steve for doing that with Joe. I really appreciate it. 
All right, that takes us to the end of this week's episode. Uh, just quickly, I want to put in a note that uh, Ubuntu 19.10 uh, Ion Ermine has reached end of life now and is not receiving security updates anymore. So if you are running that on any uh, machines, I urge you to update to Ubuntu 20.04 long-term support where you will get uh, five years of standard support and five, optionally five years of extended security maintenance as well uh, into the future with that. So yeah, a great release to upgrade to. Okay, oh yeah, so as I said, that takes us to the end of this week's episode. Uh, as usual, if you want to get in contact with the Ubuntu security team, you can reach us at security at ubuntu.com. We are also on the Ubuntu Harden channel on, uh, the IRC, on the Freenode IRC network. We have the security section on discourse at ubuntu.com if you want to uh, come and post anything you know, security relevant there as well. And finally, we are on Twitter at ubuntu underscore sec. Okay, so thanks everyone uh, for listening again for another week. It's been great uh, getting back in the chair and doing this all again for you. Uh, I will do it all again next week as well. But until then, remember, keep calm because we've got you back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.